Lord and Savior Reese and safeguarding our life for eternity. As Christians, we can still manifest our carnality. We can still allow our flesh to master and control our life. And we're only deceiving ourselves. We may carry a Bible. We may go to church. We may say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, maranatha. But that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's there. And we have to reckon the old man dead. We have to crucify him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. In this passage from the book of Jude, the saints of God are likened to houses, a metaphor that instructs believers to build a life as you would a temple suitable for God to dwell in. The simple truth is, however, that human nature is much like quicksand, in that man's efforts, wisdom, and piety alone wouldn't suffice as the necessary foundation. And thus Jude rightly refers us to the Holy Spirit for guidance in building a life able to withstand the destructive forces of the world. Here's Pastor Xavier beginning the concluding message of our series. Jude now turns to the believer in contradistinction to the apostate, and he fulfills his purpose of the epistle, beginning verse 17. He now deals with the believer to counsel them what they are to do in the day of apostasy. In verse 3 of the chapter, he says that he found it necessary to write to them uh, in exhortation to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4 tells them about the apostasy and the apostates that had crept in. And so now he has spent all this time, as we said, dealing with past judgments of God in the Old Testament to ensure that God will judge again. That no one escapes the judgment of God. You know, we can get away with so many things here on earth that sometimes we can deceive ourselves thinking that we can pull one over on God. No one will ever escape the judgment of God. As Christians, we will not escape the Bema Seat of Christ. Everything that we ever do in Christ will one day be revealed by its motive, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says. And if it was in the right motive, the motive of love, then we will receive reward. But if it was to receive attention, if it was under false pretenses, if it was because of what I thought I was going to receive, it'll be wood, hay, and stubble, all burned up. And so, though our motives may not be right here on earth, what we do may benefit others, but God is not going to judge my works by what good it did people. He's going to judge my works by the motive for which I did them for. That's a whole different basis of judgment. See, usually we reward people on earth here if they're effective and if they do certain things and other people benefit. But God's going to go right to the heart and say, nope, no good. And so God has judged the apostates in the past. He has given us all their characteristics, their certain doom. And he turns now to the believer. In verse 17 to 23, we have the personal exhortation to the believers. He says, but you, 
sharp contrast to what preceded it. But you, the believer, those who have trusted in Christ, distinct from all that he said from verse 8 to verse 16, you who are in the Spirit, those of you who have been born again, those of you who have the Son of God, those of you who have the Spirit of God residing in you, those of you who are living to please God, those of you who are striving against sin, those of you who are committed to Christ, those of you who are looking for the return of Christ, those of you who see your life as an extension of God's service to others and not as a means to get something from others. What a sharp difference. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them beloved. Those who are the objects of God's love. Those whom God has chosen. Those who had bowed their knee to Christ. Those who have been changed and transformed and who are the constant recipient of God's love. God's love is never to be judged by the circumstance or situation I find myself under. Because throughout life, I will find myself, as I have in the past, in some circumstances, that if I would judge God's love for me by the situation, I would misjudge God. Life doesn't always work out the way I think it should. Things do not always turn out the way I hoped they would. And sometime in God's grace and God's provisions, though things have gone wrong, he still lets them work out. But sometimes they don't. But because I am the object of God's love, I believe God is in control of my life. And if I know that I am serving him, loving him, growing in him, and abiding in him, then I've got nothing to worry about. The only time I have anything to worry about is if things go wrong and I'm not being obedient and abiding, then I don't know if it's the hand of God or something I have sown to that I'm reaping. Then I do freak out. But if I'm abiding, then I can be like Peter who was taken into prison and he had cuffs on him and four or six guards around him. And what was he doing? He was sleeping. How could he? He knew the next day they were going to bring him out to kill him. How could he sleep? Because he remembered the words of Jesus. He says, Peter, when you get old, Peter knew he couldn't die. Jesus had prophesied he was going to grow to be old. I sleep like a baby too. But he knew he was abiding in Christ. Now, if he was out of the will of God, I guarantee you Peter wouldn't be sleeping. And so we need to realize that we're not only the object of God's love, but we're the instruments of his love. First, he pours his love into us. Secondly, he pours his love through us to others. I mean, God could have done a lot better job with angels, I'm sure. A lot more effective. But yet he chose you, he chose me. He's taking common people to extend his love to a, 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 a love-hungry world. And yet God's love is always selfless. It's always concerned with my benefit, my good. And because he's God, he knows that he's the best thing for me. Now, when I think I'm the best thing for somebody, it's usually because I love myself more than the other person. But that's not God's hang-up. He doesn't have those problems. We have those problems. And when he says, I love you, he knows that he's the best thing for you and for me. And that's why James says, do you think that the Spirit of God says it in vain, that he, that he envies, he's jealousy over you? Why? 
because God doesn't want to share you or me with anybody except himself unless it's in the corporate union of other believers because he knows that if we are unequally yoked, we bring problems and compromises. And yet, as we grow strong in the Lord, he equips us and insulates us and sends us back into the world to be effective instruments for his glory. He says, you are my witnesses because we've been in the world. We know what it is to hurt. We know what it is to be miserable. We know what it is to be alone. But more than that, we know what it is to be forgiven. We know what it is to have hope. They may not believe us, but they can't take that testimony from us. <laughs> they can't take that from me. They can take my life. When I was in the world and we had our Kung Fu studios, we had a plaque over our, our doors, Rawl and myself. And it says, you can take my life, but you can never take my confidence. Very important as a fighter. As a Christian, you can take my life, but you never take my confidence either. Because my confidence is in Jesus Christ. I know what he's done. I know I'm the object of his love. Nobody can love me. Nobody will ever love me. Not one of you, not even my wife, the way Jesus loves me. Because his love is 100% sold out for me. As men and women, we fall short. But as God is graceful to us, hopefully we learn to be graceful to one another. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. And as we grow in Christ, hopefully people can see the love and the grace of God that just seems to permeate our life. And that we grow with time, we grow in age and maturity, and we can give the world something to look at. Something that's not fabricated by man, something that's not plastic and, and that we have to try to convince everybody that as Christians we always have a smile on our face and we're always happy. We're not always happy. I'm not. But that doesn't mean I don't have the joy of the Lord. I don't always have a smile on my face. If you do, then your muscles are going to hurt a lot. Have you ever been somewhere where you have to greet people? You hi, hi, and you know, and you, for a long time, man, you after a while, you just—it's not natural. The bitter comes with the sweet, and you learn to appreciate the sweet at times only because of the bitter. And that's the way God has chosen life. His wisdom, so far and superior to mine, something that I cannot even understand, but I've experienced it. And the benefit has come into my life. And so I am the object of his love. And therefore I have to remember, as Jesus says here, the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't trust my mind for too much. I forget real easy. And what I don't forget, I wish I did. Constantly in the word, God's people are being called to remembrance. We need to be reminded constantly. Now, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. How many times have you have to tell your children to shut the lights, flush the toilet, shut the door, pick up your dishes? And you know what? You'll have to tell them that to the day they leave the home. Always reminding them. Beautiful picture of what God has to do to us. Always. And so we need to be in the word of God so we're constantly reminded 
about the principles of God, about the warnings of God, about the promises of God. I have to be in the Word daily. I have to meditate upon it day and night. I have to let the Spirit of God deal with me, speak to me. And so we need to pay heed to the warnings that we read in the epistles. The specific is in verse 18. He says, How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. As we said in the second epistle of Peter in chapter 2, uh, there's many similarities between that and Jude. And in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. I like that. <laughs> Politicians are much like that. They ask them a question and they give all this elaborate answer. And by the time they get done, they've said nothing. Swelling words. They allure through lust of the flesh. Sinfulness, their sinful nature. Whenever you come across the word flesh in the scriptures, it will either speak of your physical body, which is not sinful in itself. It'll speak about just a human existence. Or it will use it like here for your sinful nature, your sinfulness. And Peter says that these men allure people through their fleshly enticement. They know how to get to people. Through licentiousness, the one who have actually escaped from those who live in air. They go to those people who are just come to Christ, those people who are weak, and they entice them back into bondage and corruption. And yet Paul says that we are to know how we're to maintain our body, possess our vessel unto honor. Not defrauding one another, not going beyond to the point where we are enticing one another to fall. Inflaming one's passions, but conducting ourselves the way God says. But these individuals are not so. Verse 19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Interesting. Latter end is worse than the first. And so, these individuals mockers. Peter says in the second epistle, also chapter 3, in the latter days there will be mockers, saying, where is the promise of his coming? All things have continued as they were. Come on, they've been saying that Jesus is coming back for ever since my grandmother. He's not back. Well, so what? I mean, that takes a lot of brains. Here you are, little pea brain. You only occupy 80 years of all of history, and you're going to just interpret all of history and all of time through your little 80 years. Boy, wisdom resides with you. When you die, the world is going to be lost. Man thinks so highly of himself. I am amazed. Mockers, the last time. And that's why I say that the book of Jude is not only uh, identifying the present problem, but it's also prophetic for the last time in the great apostasy. He says, in the last time. Who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And there speaks of their character. They're ungodly. 
That's their manner of walk. And again, the word lust just means desire. It can mean in a good sense, depending on the context. In this context, it's in a negative sense. He pinpoints it in verse 19. He says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. The reference to the word sensual is the word sukikos. Suki means soul, opposed to pneuma, which means spirit. Whenever you put an ikos at the end of a word in the Greek, it means that you are controlled by that particular word that is being spoken. So sukikos means that you are a person that is controlled by your soulish life, your sensual life. Pneumatikos means that you are one who is controlled and governed by the Spirit of God. And Jude says here that these uh, individuals are sukikos persons. They're men and women who are primarily mastered and controlled by their natural desires and sinful nature. Paul the Apostle says that in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, the sukikos, does not understand the things of God, neither can he please God. But the things of God are foolishness unto him. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you hear that? Deceiving and being deceived. They think they're the ones that are getting over, but they're being deceived themselves because they think they're getting away with it. They think that God doesn't see. And the promise there, which is prophetic, that these type of evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Two important things here. He classifies them as evil men means they don't know God. But the second identity is interesting. He says, imposters. They pass themselves off for something they really aren't. Impersonators. And yet, Paul there says that, in fact, as the day progresses, it's going to be worse and worse. The next epistle, Titus, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Do yourself a favor wherever you fellowship. What is the heartbeat of the ministry? Is it always money? Or is it your spiritual growth in Christ? Now, no ministry can get by without money. But God put the church together in such a way that money should never be a problem to any body of Jesus Christ. Because he clearly teaches us that as we come to Christ, we recognize our privilege to give to him. And as God puts the church together and everybody sees their part and everybody gives to God, there should never be any money problems. And if there is, there's only one of two problems. Either men are being bad stewards of the money or God's people are being disobedient. 
But a ministry that is always spending more time on money than on ministering, I would tell you to get out of it. And if that would be the major theme here, then I would tell you, get out of here. If God guides, he provides. And if he doesn't provide, he's either not guiding or God's people are disobedient. One of the two. And you act accordingly and no big deal. That keeps everybody hanging loose. No big pressure. No big programs. You don't have to grit your teeth. Oh, I don't want to go to service today. They're always asking for money. Offering back comes around. God has spoken to your heart. Go for it. He'll reward you. He hasn't spoken to your heart and you feel compelled. Don't give. God really doesn't need our money. And if people are disobedient, God will let the work go and God will take the man and put him somewhere else. No big deal. That's up to God. And when we understand that from the pulpit and when you understand it from the pew, then there's no big deal. There's no pressure. There's no nothing. God takes care of it. And that's the best way. And so we have to be careful lest um, we're taken in by people who are always pumping for money. And so when preachers are telling you how much faith they have and how God can do everything, and if then they spend so much time and energy trying to pump you for money, they're contradicting their message. And they're doing a disservice to God. They're slapping God in the face. And I really believe that if God's in it, great. And if not, I don't want nothing to do with it. There's no big deal. And so, these individuals are sensual people. But Christians can be sensual too. Paul the Apostle says in, to the Corinthians, Are you guys not carnal? Are you guys not sukikos? There's divisions among you, carnality, envy, strife, party division. And so as Christians, we can still manifest our carnality. We can still allow our flesh to master and control our life. We may carry a Bible. We may go to church. We may say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, maranatha, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's there. And we have to reckon the old man dead. We have to crucify him. These individuals cause divisions, verse 19 says. They're so quick to begin to rally little cliques, to split churches. I mean, I am amazed of some of the things that I have uh, read and found out about church splits, where churches would literally split because they were split about whether the piano should be on the right side or the left side whether they were going to have green carpet or red carpet. How stupid, how carnal. Whether they were going to be baptized face down or face back. Who cares? Just dunk them. But it shows the carnality that so often is within the church. And we get into our own little cliques and we think we're in our own little kingdom and we're only deceiving ourselves characteristic of the essential men we're not to be like that yet we have the potential for that 
Pastor Xavier Reese has been passing on simple truths from the book of Jude for building and maintaining a life for God. Now you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And we've had to break only part way through this study. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Jude Part 4. It's available on CD for just $4. That title, once again, is Jude Part 4. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And then thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 